Cerebral is an online mental health service that offers prescription medication, counseling, and therapy for anxiety, depression, ADHD, insomnia, and more. Cerebral is one of the few services that provides prescription medication online through a licensed provider and ships medication straight to your door. You can schedule sessions based on what's most convenient for you, and you don't have to wait weeks to be seen. And BuzzFeed Daily listeners can receive 65% off your first month of medication management and care counseling at Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed. Go to Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed for 65% off your first month. Join Cerebral today on their mission to make quality mental health care accessible and affordable for all. The Gangster Chronicles podcast is a weekly conversation that revolves around the underworld. From criminals and entertainers to victims of crime and law enforcement, we cover all facets of the game. Gangster Chronicles podcast doesn't glorify or promote illicit activities. We just discuss the ramifications and repercussions of these activities. Because after all, if you play gangster games, you are ultimately rewarded with gangster prizes. Our Heart Radio is number one for podcasts, but don't take our word for it. Find the Gangster Chronicles podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Roxanne Gay, the host of the Roxanne Gay Agenda, the bad feminist podcast of your dreams. Each week I talk to an interesting person about feminism, race, writing in books and art, food, pop culture, and yes, politics. We can't escape politics. Listen to the Luminary Original Podcast, The Roxanne Gay Agenda, every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hillary Duff pierced her seven-month-old daughter's ears and says she's ready for the backlash. Brian Tyree Henry opened up about assuming he'd have to lose weight to play a superhero in Eternals. And we're talking with actor and writer Cal Penn about his new memoir, You Can't Be Serious. It's November 9th, 2021. Hey friends, I'm Casey Rackham. And I'm Shiloh Watson. Welcome to BuzzFeed Daily. Okay, so Casey, obviously you must know about the Wicked movie that's happening. Yes, yes I do. And I'm ready. Yes, Ariana Grande, Cynthia Erivo, like it's going to be fantastic. And people want it to be fantastic. And so they have started a petition to keep James Corden out of this movie. Can you believe that? Yes, 100%, because I would sign the petition. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, but here's my question. So I did see that headline, but I didn't I didn't read it yet. Is he up for a role or are people preemptively making sure he's not in the movie? I'm pretty sure people are just trying to make sure he never gets in the movie. I don't think he's being <laughs> That is at all. even worse for him, and I find that so funny. I think pe- people have gotten to the point, you know, people have heard stories about James Corden, and then on top of that, he is put in every single musical movie, and yeah. I think people are just ready, like, hey, let's cast some new people. <laughs> yeah, and like, no one. They no would, one though. They would cast him. him as like the Cowardly Lion or something. Anyway, I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So to kick things off, Hillary Duff has prepared herself for backlash after piercing her infant daughter's ears. On her Instagram story, she posted a photo of her daughter, May, wearing studs with the caption, quote, yes, I pierced her ears today. Can't wait for the Internet to call me a child abuser again. Let's go. Hillary's caption refers to when people called her out for piercing her older daughter's ears when she was a baby. Numerous commenters called the decision, quote, abusive because her daughter couldn't consent. Um. I have a lot of feelings about this. First, as someone who my mom pierced my ears when I was only three months old, and I'm very grateful because I don't 
like needles. I mean, I don't, you know, whatever. <laughs> so I'm glad because I like wearing my earrings, but I wouldn't have been able to do it as like a sane human being if I like, you know, were 13 or 14 years old. I would have been too scared. <laughs> Well, I'm probably on the other side. I probably, if I have a child, would let them decide if they want them. But I think what I love the most about this is that other people use tactics like this where they say, like, they know they've done something that other people don't like. So if they say before they get attacked that they're ready to be attacked, like, they kind of, like, know they might have done something wrong, but they don't care. Am I making sense, Shyla? No, you are. But then I'm okay. also wondering, like, why would she even share this? Like, yeah, I mean, that, could... that was another thing I was talking about. I was like, oh my God, we already know that commenters take things too far. The internet is a hive mind. Why put it out there? That is wild, isn't it? Like, you don't have to share everything. So I'm just like, <laughs> okay, that's, that's a choice. <laughs> All right, so moving on, Eternal star Brian Tyree Henry recently shared that he had some reservations about joining the MCU. During a press conference, Brian revealed that when director Chloe Zhao and producer Nate Moore first approached him to play Fastos, he asked how much weight he'd have to lose. He said that Chloe told him they wanted him just as he was, adding, quote, to be a black man, to have someone look at you and say, we want you exactly the way you are, is unlike anything that I've ever felt. Oh, Shiloh, <laughs> not me crying on a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> this is so good. There's so many beautiful layers to it. One. As, you know, people of color, we've heard so many stories of going into an audition room and being told to be a certain way. And for him to just be being told, like, you are just you. That is beautiful. Now let's talk about how they're accepting bodies at every size. Like, Kumail can get ripped and do what he wants. And then over here, Brian Tyree Henry cannot do that because it's all valid. Yep, I love that we're erasing the stereotype of a superhero has to look a certain way. <laughs> yes. Uh, why? <laughs> why? Why did that ever exist? <laughs> I, I love this. <laughs> that is so true because usually it's like, well, they're strong. And I'm like, well, no, it's actually not their muscles that make them strong. It's actually their superpowers. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. That's such a good point. <laughs> now, for today's interview, we're speaking with actor, writer, and former Obama staffer Cal Penn about his new memoir, You Can't Be Serious, and the overwhelming reaction he's received for speaking publicly about his sexuality for the first time. Hi, Cal. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. So your new memoir came out last week. It's called You Can't Be Serious, and it covers everything from your childhood to your acting career, to your political career, to your romantic life. Usually people will start an interview like this asking, why did you want to write this book? But I'm sure that's already been covered. So instead, I'm going to ask, what did you learn about yourself while writing this book? Oh, that's such a that's such a better question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we try. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what I learned. The biggest thing I learned, you know, a lot of the stories that I tell in the book, I tell in a way that I want the reader to feel like I'm having a beer with them because that's generally how I've told the stories to friends who know me well. And the first couple of chapters have to do with like early life, middle school, kind of typecasting in Hollywood, some of those frustrations, early life frustrations. And I'm so used to verbally telling those stories in a way that are funny to my friends. And the first draft I turned in to my editor, those early chapters were super dark. <laughs> and I 
I did not anticipate that they'd be that dark, right? And I mean, look, first of all, I'm an actor. So anytime I remember a story, I feel the story. And I'm feeling these stories of typecasting and going in on auditions for like, I tell the story about being on an episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch and just how awful those producers and director were. And it's like coming off the page in a super (laughs) dark way. And part of me was like, dude, it's been like 15 years And that was a credit on your resume that helped you get another job. What is the deal? So that was, I think, the biggest thing I I learned was was how to, you know, I'm used to writing screenplays and making up characters, not writing autobiographical short stories. So it was figuring out how to properly tell those stories in a way that was more authentic rather than just um, visceral. I feel like when you have those experiences and you're like, whoa, that that really affected me more than I thought it did. Uh, I'm going to have to go talk about that in therapy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this whole process, I'm like, oh, why was I paying for a therapist? Because I have an editor now and this is wonderful. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Amazing. All right. So a lot of the book covers your acting career, particularly the early parts of your career, like you were talking about when Hollywood wasn't very inclusive towards people of color and sometimes flat out racist. And we've come some way since then in terms of representation. But I'm curious, from your personal experience, what do you think about the changes Hollywood has had and the changes it still needs to make? Yeah, look, un- undoubtedly, the, the reason I tell some of these stories, like <laughs> that, that's a, that Sabrina the Teenage Witch story, uh, for people who have already read the book, they're like, oh, I can't believe that happened. I'm like, well, you realize I've mentioned at least five times that that was just one of many, many stories like that. And so I'd go on auditions and I would get told things like, um, where's your turban? I'm like, oh, well, I, I'm not Sikh, so I, I don't have a turban. And then they would say, this one woman I remember said, uh, well, can you go home and put a bed sheet on your head? Because, uh, you know, we really need you to look like you have a turban. And I was like, well, no, obviously I'm not going to do that, but wow, okay. Or the number of auditions I went on where I knew it was between me and another actor and the other actor happened to be a white dude in brown face. I think the reference point I use in the book is like, just so everybody knows this wasn't that long ago, this was happening when the song Bye 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 came out. Like oh, it was dark. Wow, it's like dark. recent enough, you know? Oof. So, but that said, like, I love what we do as actors. I love making people laugh. Undoubtedly, if you look at, especially all the shows that are on streaming, I mean, the industry has changed so much and there are performers from every walk of life who are content creators and are making stuff on their own that people are enjoying. And so, um, so yeah, we've come a long way and we have a long way to go, but it's, it's, I think a really nice time for audiences because they're getting shows that they may not have seen before. You know, near the end of the memoir, you write about your experience creating the TV show Sunnyside in 2019 and how much it meant to you to tell that story. But unfortunately, the series was canceled a few months after it premiered. What were some of the lessons you took from that experience? Yeah, not even a few months. It was like three episodes in. They oh, were like, great. Love it. Love it. Peace. See ya. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that was a really tough uh, chapter to write. And I'm, I was glad I could end the book with it. I mean, on the one hand, it was like, okay, uh, this just happened to me. I am way too close to have any sort of perspective, right? So there's, there, it is kind of an emotional story. But then on the flip side, it was like, I thought it was important to tell because it's an example, I think, of everything I love, all the opportunity that I feel about what we do, and then also all the frustration all in one story. So it was everything that I had talked about in the book up until that point. You know, I, I was, I remain, I was and remain so thankful that I had the chance to create what at that point was the most diverse show on network television to date. We had the most diverse writer's room. Um, the show wasn't necessarily about that. We just wanted to make everybody laugh. 
And the big reveal, I mean, I'll, I'll ruin it a little bit, but obviously the, it's a long chapter, so you'll get more out of it. But you know, the big reveal was after we got canceled, the advertising magazine Ad Age ran a piece where they disaggregated NBC's ad spend data and found that the network had spent something like 3,300% less on our show than they did on the far less diverse offerings that they had on the same night. And the reason that was so shocking, and maybe it shouldn't have been, but the reason that was so shocking is that, you know, the networks use the Nielsen ratings as their benchmark of, of measuring the success and or failure of a show. And undoubtedly we were the lowest rated show. So of course we had to get canceled. But if you're using one metric to measure the success of every show, but if you're not investing equally in those shows, then you're setting up the performers of color to fail. And so, and I think that's endemic to network TV because they're, you know, they're competing in a, in an ad driven model. They're competing against streaming platforms that don't have to worry about ad revenue. So the streaming ones inevitably are going to be investing more in these really diverse stories. And so that whole thing, putting it together, it was on the one hand, it was like that. I definitely still have a chip on my shoulder, but on the other hand, how do you tell this story in a way that contributes to the overall subtext of the book, which is, systems do change and they can change and they only change when we kind of get into them and 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 do what we love to make things a little bit better so i'm glad you asked about that chapter it was definitely a tricky one to to write all right we'll be right back with more from cal pen Chief-It. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat-burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from Chief-It. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. Conquer your New Year's resolution to be more productive with the Before Breakfast podcast. In each bite-sized daily episode, time management and productivity expert Laura Vanderkam teaches you how to make the most of your time, both at work and at home. These are the practical suggestions you need to get more done with your day. Just as lifting weights keeps our bodies strong as we age, learning new skills is the mental equivalent of pumping iron. Listen to Before Breakfast wherever you get your podcasts. What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination, our sense of wonder, and our family bonds grow too. Because when we disconnect from this and connect with this, we reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back. We're talking with Cal Penn about his new memoir, You Can't Be Serious. Now, your memoir has already received a ton of positive feedback because it's a very good book, but people are also really interested in it because it's the first time you've spoken about your sexuality in a public way. You also included your engagement announcement to your fiance, Josh, which, by the way, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> now, you've said that you've never hidden or lied about your relationship, but what made you want to talk about it publicly at this point in your life? And why did you choose the memoir as the way to do it? Yeah, so uh, chapter 18, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, very excited to share that the story about how Josh and I met because it's, uh, uh, I'm told, quite ludicrous. Uh, <laughs> we, like a lot of like a lot of people who meet their significant others in ways that really highlight how different they are. Like Josh, Josh is a very quiet person. Grew up in rural Mississippi. Um, 
he, uh, you know, doesn't love attention. And so uh, I write about the story about how we met, which was that, you know, I was working at the White House at the time. He uh, he comes over for Sunday. Sundays, by the way, the pre- I should preface this by saying we met when I lived in, in D.C. Sundays were the only days that uh, White House staffers really have time off. <laughs> and you're supposed to do your laundry and run your errands and all that and maybe squeeze in a date. So I was like, yeah, just come over. We'll have like a couple of beers in the afternoon. And this dude rolls into my apartment with an 18-pack of Coors Light and turns on a NASCAR race on my TV. And I was like, oh, I know how this is going to end. It's going to end in 20 minutes when he leaves with 16 of those beers because this is just, we have nothing, you know, we have nothing in common. So when I was putting the memoir together, I was like, hey, can I tell that story? Because our friends obviously know the story and think it's hilarious. We've been together for 11 years. But I, you know, I wanted to be respectful of his privacy as well. And, and the fact that he, like my parents and my brother, really don't love the life. You know, when we, uh, the best example of this I would give you, I mean, this is every premiere, but the third Harold and Kumar premiere, you know, we pack the car, everyone's going together. As soon as we pull up, my parents, my brother, Josh, uh, and uh, several of our friends, they all get out of the car. It was a very big car. And they, uh, <laughs> they, they go through, they go through the side entrance of the theater. They're like, we're going to grab popcorn and sodas and we'll see you at the seats in an hour. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? Like, yeah, yeah, I know. And like, go ahead, do the red carpet thing you have to do. I'm like, you guys don't want to, like, at least take one picture with me? They're like, no, we love you and support you, and we'll see you inside. So in so in putting the book together, I think, again, like a lot of people who, you know, whose spouses or whose parents are, are different, I just mostly have wanted to be respectful of their privacy and their wishes. And and in putting this book together, I said, you know, there, there are two really joyous chapters that I'd really, or two joyous stories that I want to tell. One is how Josh and I met, because through the NASCAR of it all, by the way, the, the whole point of that was that we both, um, we both grew up camping. You know, he grew up in rural Mississippi, didn't have a lot of money. Their family vacations were to campgrounds and NASCAR races. And for me, I was the, you know, I'm the son of immigrants. My dad moved to America with $12 in his pocket. We also went camping because it was a cost-effective way to spend time with the family. So that story meant a lot to me. And the story of my parents, the, the fact that my dad did move here with $12 in his pocket and the hope of a better life were things that I, I wanted I wanted their permission to tell, and I wanted to make sure I told them in a, as matter of fact in a, a right way as possible. You know, my my dad grew up um, my dad grew up in a tenement in Mumbai. There were six of them in one room. There was no running water, no toilet. If you wanted to use the bathroom, you had to walk all the way down to the end of the building, and it was a you know, literally communal holes in the ground. And and uh, all of those stories make who I am today. And so I'm really excited to share them with people who are reading the book or listening to the audiobook. And uh, and that's kind of what went into all that. I mean, so I've I've just got to ask, after the Twitter exchange with Cardi B, I mean, you're going to have to have her officiate the wedding, right? Hell yeah. (laughs) Hell yeah. Absolutely. I love how it's like, Josh doesn't like limelight, but we need to have Cardi B (laughs) Yeah, I don't know exactly how that's going to work. It's true. When I saw the tweet, I was like, hey... Cardi B saw our tweet and she's down to officiate the wedding. And in true understated fashion, he just goes, oh, cool. (laughs) Cool. cool. That's amazing. It's incredible. (laughs) Amazing. Okay. So I do want to move on to your time in politics because I love talking about your time in politics. You know, in the book, you write about how your grandparents marched with Gandhi and how much that story influenced your values. Obviously, we all know about your time working for the Obama administration, and you're clearly a very political person. Have you ever thought of running for office? 
No, I don't think so. Look, I, lo- I loved working uh, in the administration. I, I, the story of how I got there was incredibly unlikely. I did not think it was ever something I was going to do. In fact, the, the whole reason I even got roped into one Obama campaign event was Olivia Wilde, who was on house with me at the time, said she had a plus one to an event. She's like, you want to come with me? And I said, nah. And she <laughs> said, what? Why not? I saw you reading Obama's book. And I'm like, yeah, I read his book. It's a good book doesn't mean I want to meet him or go work for him or anything. And this is, by the way, when he was like 30 points down in the polls before the primary, right? So, but I did end up going uh, mostly because it was an open bar event and and, uh, and you got to go. And and uh, and I, I really, I think that one of the biggest takeaways, you know, I, had, I was a junior staffer, right? So most of the stuff that I was working on wasn't vitriolic or sexy enough to end up on like Fox or MSNBC or CNN or anything, but it was stuff that was deeply meaningful. So working on the outreach teams around something like the Affordable Care Act or the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell or doubling the Pell Grant for higher education were really, really meaningful things. And I left that experience with a sense that a deeper sense rather of, I think what we all know, which is that the system is sort of designed to make you feel complacent and to make you feel like, well, my voice doesn't matter. But the more we feel that way, the more we stay home and the more nothing changes. And so I met people who definitely vehemently disagreed with Obama, maybe people who thought that he was too liberal or too conservative. And they made me feel better about the fact that people still have discourse and people are still willing to make their voices heard in a way that isn't just sending a nasty tweet to somebody you don't like, which by the way, feels amazing, but uh, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily move the needle on policy, right? Government moves slowly for, for a reason. And, um, I, I just, uh, I, I write, a, I write about all the ways I put my foot in my mouth in the book, <laughs> but the biggest takeaway from that was, I think just feeling like there's, there's a lot of good that everybody can do. Okay, so I want to know if you were an advisor to Joe Biden right now, what's the first thing you would tell him to do? Oh, man, I mean, this is such a tough question, because when you don't work in government, you always have your your pet issue, right? Mm. Where I'm like, all right, my issues are climate and human rights and uh, cultural diplomacy. And when you're when you work inside the building, you swear an oath to the Constitution. And your job is not to, like, tell people what you think. It's to help execute part of this mm. overall vision. So let's see. I think one of the big things for me is student loan forgiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think uh, I, I put that in the same category. Sometimes when I, when I talk to older friends, we're like, well, we never had it and we had to pay off our student loans so other people shouldn't get to them. I'm like, what kind of thinking is that? <laughs> no, it literally, okay, so I have the same conversation where it's just like, uh, I think it's the same as when someone was like, well, when I was in the 60s and people hated me for being gay, uh, uh, the same should happen for everyone. I'm like, no, yeah. no, 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 it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. It's the same thing as like, like I had, uh, I, I, I think it's chapter nine where I write about literally the worst internship I ever had in my life for this awful racist misogynist at a movie studio. Um, and a, I, uh, learned so much about what not to do as an aspiring producer. So I oddly thank him for that experience, but B it was an unpaid, it was an unpaid internship. Right. And today there's a lot of, thankfully a lot of conversations about how we should pay interns for their work. And the argument against it, well, we never, we had all these shitty conditions. We never had to, we never got paid. I'm like, yeah. And that was wrong. <laughs> like, we should have gotten paid for our work. And now that we're in positions of power, we should be paying other oh, people. So boy. Uh, anyway, I'll put student loans in that, in that category. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> okay. So at this point in your life, you're an actor, author, comedian, politico, soon to be husband. I mean, multi-hyphenate extraordinaire over here. So my final question is a two-parter. 
what's the next project you're planning on working on? And are you trying to make the rest of us feel unproductive? <laughs> oh, come on. Well, I'll, I'll answer the first one first, which is that it, it, it's a crazy, ridiculous journey that the, the reason I am telling it is because of how much love I feel like I've gotten over the years, whether it was for, you know, the Harold and Kumar movies, which when they came out, everybody forgets it tanked at the box office. Like the studio didn't know how to market it. Nobody really knew what the movie was about. Then it comes out on DVD and people just like buy it and give it to their friends and have watch parties in their dorm rooms and we have so much love for the fans for giving us a, a career based on how, how they enjoyed those movies and then it was a similar thing with like all right i'm taking a leave of absence working at the white house coming back to acting i got this amazing gig on how i met your mother for a season and again it was like the fans who let me do that so on the contrary i actually feel really lucky and i'm so excited to share those things with people um the first question uh, the first question is what, what am i doing next i mean i i sort of jokingly say that i'd love to like if this book does well, um, I'd love to sell the rights and have like Dev Patel or Karin Brar play the younger version of me because I'm too old now. <laughs> <laughs> and they're both amazing actors. But I'm, I'm working on a few things. I'm producing a comedy, a film. It's actually, it's Comedy Central's first Diwali-themed movie that comes out December 11th. It's called Hot Mess Holiday, starring Serena Jindal and, and Melanie Chandra, these two incredible, incredible women out of uh, New York. I'm doing a horror movie later this fall, and then I'm writing a couple of new TV pilots that uh, hopefully we can find a home for. So... Uh, a little bit, of, little bit of that going on. Yeah, <laughs> so busy. <laughs> so, so really, so really, we now feel even more on track. No, 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 no. Uh, thank you, Cal. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been great. This was really fun. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Nice to talk to you. All right, that's it for today. Come back and join us tomorrow. And remember, sometimes the love of your life just likes Coors Light and NASCAR. <laughs> Be sure to subscribe to BuzzFeed Daily on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you go for your podcasts. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to come back for more of the biggest stories on BuzzFeed coming to you daily. Socks are the number one most requested item at homeless shelters. Underwear second and shirts are third. At Bombas, socks were first, made with comfortable details for everyday wearing. Then underwear and shirts too, all designed to perfectly fit. At Bombas, every item you purchase means you're donating an essential clothing item to someone in need. One comfortable clothing item for you, one donated to someone in need. Bombas, comfort for all. Get 20% off your purchase at bombas.com slash comfy. For my small bookstore to thrive, I can't just sell books. So I created a radio ad at iHeartAdBuilder.com to tell everyone about our author events, our story hours for kids, and our amazing lattes. Now we're busier than ever. I'd call that a success story. A custom radio ad from iHeartAdBuilder is the fast, affordable way to drive customers to your business. Put the power of radio to work for you. Get started now at iHeartAdBuilder.com. The NFL Podcast Network is your home for all things football. Do you love hearing analysis around the league with a touch of mirth? Or maybe you enjoy breaking down X's and O's in the college scouting scene. Do you breathe, sleep, and eat fantasy football? Perhaps you love the funny headlines that emerge each week. What if you want in-depth news coverage with reporters? Or what if you want to know exactly how each team got its name? Well, you're in luck because the NFL Podcast Network has a show for everybody. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.